0: Um, the other day, so God. yeah, so who knows what you're going to hear there, uh, that's Elevation Church, <laughs> so, <laughs> Stephen Furter. <Furchard. laughs> um, cause it just goes automatically to the next thing that's in your line, uh, what they want to feed you to listen to. Um, uh, he broke his femur, uh, had a rod put in, uh, and in this down the inside the, the bone. Uh, they have two screws at the bottom two at the top. He'll go back February 24th uh, So on the 23rd evening I won't be here, but I will record the service the sermon uh, and have all that ready We'll just do our normal service And then they'll play my video sermon like we've done before with the book of Revelation um, He is uh, walking with a walker um, and Also holding on to the rails as he walks upstairs and downstairs uh, They told him he's uh, whatever he can tolerate, he can do. He's free to do. Um, uh, and uh, they, the only thing is he can't submerge it uh, in water until uh, the two weeks that they will go back and look at it. But he has uh, two plates, one on the bottom on the outside, or two covers on that, one on the bottom, one on the top, and then another incision where they run the rod down from the very top. So uh, keep him in your prayers as he continues to recover. He's at at school, at Bible college. Uh, he has a lot of friends there who are Supporting him and, and encouraging him. Uh, we felt like he, if he was at home He might not do as good and so he, he's got that encouragement from them e- every day They're helping him with uh, all the things that he needs to do, but just keep him in your prayers He's still in a lot of pain and, and having some nausea uh, Today, uh, so keep him in your prayers So let me give you some updates of some on our friends and family side uh, that I do know um, And this is the one that Pat Williams was telling us about Chris yeah tell me that again because I've forgotten since we he's healing okay so he's healing and doing better that's Chris Gregory uh, on the right-hand side there with the knee replacement Um, do continue to remember James Harvey uh, who has cancer Terry Stone's uh, dad and then also Cindy Cruz she has liver cancer and that's going to be a long-term request there she's my cousin who lives in Waverly Uh, and then Uh, My brother's wife, Leslie, uh, was sick. She had COVID. Uh, She's uh, still, many of you who've had COVID or know those who have, know that it wipes you out and that's kind of where she's at, not having a whole lot of strength, Uh, but she's past the critical parts of of that. Um, Remember Tommy Bass uh, in your prayers, which is Tracy Henderson's uh, dad, uh, who has a stage four lung cancer. Remember the people of Ukraine, um, and then Randy Alexander, which is Miss Imogene Smith's uh, son-in-law, uh, he is sick with COVID, so keep him in your prayers. Uh, Wes McMinn, who is Amy Jackson's dad, uh, his uh, prostate cancer uh, was not completely gone, the, the bladder cancer, so uh, they're going to have to do some procedure there in, in the month here, so keep, keep him and, and them in your prayers. Uh, remember Lucille Griffin that is Tommy Griffin's mom. Uh, she had uh, some heart issues and, and blood clot stuff, so keep her in your prayers and then Matt Magnus, who used to be the youth minister over at Grace, his mother in-law, his wife Jesse's mom. Uh, has a tumor around her liver, Uh, and uh, Matt had asked us to put that one on. Uh, There is a praise report, though, that I do have on Debbie Norman, who is my cousin's wife. They live out in Colorado. She's the one we've been praying for who's been on the ventilator. Uh, She came off of it for a little bit, almost almost off of it back in uh, the latter part of January, but since January 4th, she's been in ICU uh, with COVID. Um, This past weekend, she's totally off the ventilator, uh, has 96, 97% of our oxygen uh, and is doing great. And <laughs> just an awesome, awesome report. And uh, just continue to pray that things go in the right direction there. Uh, Jay Barbier, who's on that side, also has uh, cancer. He's our youth specialist for the TBMB. Uh, he is also um, uh, going through his uh, treatments. Any others that we need to add or any ones that uh, you wanna share? Pull up Facebook here, where I can see two. Okay. Okay. So um, a couple of unspoken, and then what's the one that you had? L E I L A. Okay. So remember Layla, she's a six-month-old six baby uh, and is having to see a neurologist, so uh, keep her in your prayers. Uh, I would also ask you to remember Tracy uh, Sargent. Uh, her and Barry had been in an accident last month with, uh, when they, they went to his uh, cousin's funeral, um, and uh, she's having to follow up still with some uh, things with the neurologist and stuff that she's having going on from that. So uh, keep her in your prayers. Any others? Yeah, yeah, and I talked to her this week. Anybody else? Okay, all right. We'll look to see uh, what we come up with that for her back to hospital. Okay. Any others? Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer then uh, for these prayer requests as well as those unspoken needs that you have. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for the blessings (coughs) that you've given to us. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you'll uh, hear our prayers tonight, and we know, Lord, for you to do that. We have to make sure we have uh, no hindrance of our sin. Uh, between us and you, that we're not holding on to sin in our life. So I pray, God, that we would, uh, by, by the truth of your word and the, the, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, that you will shine the light of your truth into our hearts to show us any wicked ways within us that we might confess those things before you uh, and be forgiven of those sins. Lord, we want you to hear our cry on behalf of each one of these individuals. Lord, you know these people, you know their hearts, you know their lives, you know their physical situations, you know their spiritual situations, you know the, the uh, uh, mental and, and emotional needs that they may have as well as the financial and, and, and family uh, needs that they may have or, or whatever else. Lord, we just want to uplift all of those situations to you. And place them in your hands and ask for your will to be done for your name to be glorified and honored we pray heavenly father that you will just uh touch them in a powerful way to bring that healing to their bodies and that we lord will continue to testify and praise your name for the great and mighty things that you have done and that you are doing and that you are yet to do uh, in each one of these lives so we give them to you we know you're capable we know you're able and we just pray god that you will uh, bring that healing to them lord in the meantime We pray that you'll wrap them in your loving arms, let them know that you're with them, especially those, Lord, who don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. We pray that uh, today would be the day of salvation for them. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will uh, just uh, continue, Lord, to uh, make yourself known to them and use us to be a witness to them in whatever way that we can. Father, we pray that you would uh, be with those who are saved, too, and that as they go through these times some may even have to go through those valley times father we pray that as they do may they lean upon you may they find strength in you and and help for tomorrow through you and we pray heavenly father that as you help them uh, lord we pray that uh, that will be a testimony in and of itself to Uh, those who are lost also around them so father we give you the glory for all you've been doing all you're going to do we lord pray that uh, you will be with all of our missionaries keep them safe uh, in your arms as they continue to seek to share the gospel all around this world and across north america we pray for our convention lord that you'll continue to keep us lord in the right path following you and your will and all that you would have us to do and we pray for tonight lord as we come to study your word Uh, that you will make yourself known to us by breaking your your word before us. Uh, And may we uh, hear the truth, Lord, here from uh, the book of Revelation that will speak volumes into our heart, that we might see the application that, Lord, as we... Rely upon that promise that you gave us at the beginning of the book of Revelation, that those who hear this word, those who read this word, and those who keep this word will be blessed. Uh, Lord, I pray a special blessing will be upon us tonight uh, for the very least of hearing and reading this scripture. And then I pray that as we leave this place, may we keep it, may we live it in our hearts and in our lives. So bless your word tonight in the book of Revelation, and we pray that you'll just encourage our hearts in a special way. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to the Book of Revelation in chapter 1 or two, and verse eight down through verse 11, is where we're going to be at. Uh, let me just remind you, uh, because you may not have heard this online, uh, we do have the books still available. Uh, the Illustrated Life of Jesus. We also have the numbers in Revelation available. If you're here in person, you can pick up either one of those, see me for the card. The books are here at the front. Uh, We'll get those to you. If you're online and you want one of those, please uh, send us a message. Uh, You can do that in the email form at at hollabaptistcafes.net or uh, hollabaptisttullahoma at gmail.com. Or you can comment there in the comments on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter uh, and let us know that and we'll get that sent out to you. We've got some that are going out tomorrow from some who've requested those. So uh, if you get that in to us tonight, we'll hopefully be able to send that out to you. Uh, tomorrow, uh, so uh, go ahead and take the time to do that, and let us know your address uh, where we can send that to. Revelation chapter two, verse eight through verse eleven. We're looking tonight at the persecuted church. The last church we looked at was the book was the church at Ephesus in the beginning of chapter two, and it was the church uh, that was without love, a church that was loveless. This is the letter to the church at Smyrna which is the persecuted church. And so let's just read through these verses and then we're going to come back and and look at some of the details of these things. So we're going to begin at verse eight and it says, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So just stopping right there. Who's that talking about? We know who that's talking about Jesus verse nine. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of Of life, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So let's go back and look at a few of the things here about this church to set the stage for this letter uh, that John is writing to this church. The name Smyrna has an interesting, a very interesting meaning, in fact. It's the Greek word myrrh. Hmm. Where have we heard myrrh before? Myrrh was there with the gifts uh, that the wise men brought to Jesus. So you remember the Gospel of Matthew? The wise men came to Jesus. They gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, that's the word, the same word that translates Smyrna uh, here. And so the Greek word there is Smyrna. Uh, the word referred to a spice, a balm or a perfume. Uh, Smyrna had a a medical use in the days of Jesus. Myrrh did. Uh, You remember when Jesus was sacrificed uh, on the cross there, uh, crucified on the cross, uh, someone came to him and offered him uh, wine mixed with myrrh. Uh, It also was used to embalm people. Uh, who had died. In John chapter 19, when Jesus was buried, we're told that the disciples wrapped him in a long linen cloth in which they placed many spices and myrrh. And so the Greek word Smyrna literally refers to a spice, a perfume that was sold in great quantities in the city of Smyrna. Now, the city of Smyrna itself is a very interesting city, and it also gives us some clues as to the background of the letter as John is writing this letter to this church. First of all, Smyrna uh, was a very refined city. It was one of the most beautiful cities uh, in all of the world. It was located at the head of the Gulf of Smyrna, uh, where the hills of Asia Minor overlooked the Aegean Sea. Uh, it was a free city. Now, what does that mean? That means that it had its own government. It didn't have to pay tribute or tax to the Roman Empire. It was the birthplace of the Greek poet Homer. Uh, maybe didn't know that. Uh, it was built and designed by Alexander the Great. Uh, it was in that day a model city. Uh, the streets were wide. Uh, they were spacious. All of them were paved uh, and well paved at that. Uh, And they ran at perfect right angles to each other uh, from one end of the city to the other. In fact, there's one street that became so famous uh, that it was called the Golden Street. Uh, It began at the sea and ran all the way through the entire city. It was a magnificent street that was lined with various temples dedicated to many gods of that day. Uh, On one side uh, would be the temple of the goddess uh, Sibel, uh, and on the other side would be a temple to Apollo. Uh, On the the next side, a temple to uh, Escapulis, uh, the the god of healing. Uh, And then beyond that, the beautiful temple of the goddess Aphrodite. Uh, And the street just continued on, uh, winding its way up that beautiful city uh, until it ended at the temple of the Greek god Zeus, uh, who was uh, the Latin god Jupiter. Uh, At the end of that street, on the other side of Mount Pagos, was a theater. At that time, it was the largest theater in all the world. It seated more than 20,000 people. Uh, But Smyrna was also a very rich city. Uh, It was located right on the sea. It was a seaport. Uh, So you could just imagine its harbor uh, was one of the finest in all of the world. It was one of the few harbors at that time that could be entirely closed off in a time of war. And that was important because in times of war, ships could still find space to dock and unload uh, their cargo. Uh, So whether by sea or by roadway, Smyrna was a true marketing metropolis. Even now, uh, the city, uh, which is not Smyrna is the present city of Izmir in uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, is a very wealthy and prosperous city of almost 300,000 people. But it was also a very religious city. Beyond all the other gods that were worshipped there, the city also was the, the center of Caesar worship. Uh, you literally had your pick of religions and you had your choice of gods uh, in the city of Smyrna. Uh, and so, you know, we think about where we sit in this auditorium and in our comfort, in the padded pews we sit in, or you're sitting there at home in the comfort of your living room on your, your, your chair, your, your sofa, wherever you're uh, sitting there. Uh, you know, we, we think about uh, we live in the nice homes that we live in, driving our nice automobiles, and it may be difficult for us to relate to this marvelous city of Smyrna. In this day uh, that John is writing in here, uh, you know, and, and in our day with all of our comforts of luxuries, it's, it's not easy to to interest a, a, a here at Smyrna a, a well-clothed, well-housed crowd of Christians in a church like Smyrna. But there was so much uh, that we need to learn from this precious congregation uh, that God was so proud of. So here's the first thing I want you to see about this church. I want you to see the problems uh, of this church that John addresses uh, in his letter. So the problems of the church. The church at Smyrna is, the, is only one of two churches out of these seven letters that we're looking at, which receives absolutely no criticism from the Lord. Uh, Yet it's one church that probably had the most problems. Uh, Sometimes problems are a sign of God's blessings rather than God's curse, particularly if the problems are coming from the outside world. This church at Smyrna received no criticism from Jesus. In fact, he says in verse 9 there, he says, I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. In King James Version, he says before that, I know your works. Uh, this was a church that loved the Lord. Uh, that loved the work of God, that was being faithful. But it was still a church that was floating in a sea of troubles and trial and tribulation, and it faced several problems. One of the problems they faced was persecution. And and that's why John says, I know your tribulation. Jesus says to them, I I see your tribulation. That word for tribulation is the word philipsis. The word literally means pressure. It referred to the execution of a man who was killed by placing a heavy rock, a heavy stone uh, on top of him. The weight of that stone, the weight of that rock uh, would gradually crush that man to death. And so that's the descriptive term that's being used there in that word tribulation. Uh, This word was also used to picture uh, the grinding of wheat into flour or or the crushing of grapes into juice. So the word literally means to be crushed. And so he's saying to them, I know that you're being crushed. I know you are feeling the weight and the pressure of the world uh, upon you. So we understand the word here doesn't refer to ordinary, common, everyday suffering but specifically suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some people who think that if they're having a headache, uh, they're suffering. Uh, but, but what we see here uh, is, is that that's not suffering for Jesus, what we're talking about here. Uh, this is not referring to common suffering. It's referring to Christian suffering, to suffering for Jesus. So why were these wonderful, sweet Christians suffering for the Lord? Well, as we've already seen, this city of Smyrna was a pagan city. Uh, Every god had its own particular temple. Uh, So if the Christians had been willing to take Jesus and put him alongside all these other gods and build a temple to him, things would have just been fine. Uh, if they'd have been willing to make Jesus just one of the other gods, uh, he would have been they, they would have been received with all gladness. But the Smyrna Christians refused to do that. They wouldn't put Jesus with any of these other gods because uh, there were no other gods as far as they were concerned except for one God, the God-man, Jesus Christ. But that wasn't the major problem. The major problem was that Smyrna, and all the eastern part of the Roman Empire were the center of Caesar worship. So with every other god, uh, you enjoyed freedom of religion. Uh, You could choose to worship Aphrodite or you could choose not to. You could choose to worship Mercury or or not to. You could choose to worship Diana uh, or any of the others, but everybody had to participate no matter if you were worshiping one of those other gods, you had to participate in worshiping Caesar. Everybody had to proclaim Caesar was Lord. Now, the reason for that was that the Roman Empire was a, what we call a polygot, or what we might refer to today as a, as sort of a melting pot. That is, it was made up of every kind of city, uh, language, race, and nationality that you could imagine. And so the emperors realized, uh, they realized that they had to be, there had to be some way to unify the Roman government and the Roman people. There had to be this common denominator that would demand loyalty uh, to the government in Rome. So they decided that they would. Would rally the people around the worship of Caesar but that was a very simple thing once a year uh, you would simply come to the temple of the Emperor you'd walk by this little urn and, and you would take a pinch of incense and just a pinch and, and burn it in the temple dedicated to Caesar and all you had to say was two words Kaiser Curias." Kaiser Curios. that is Caesar is Lord The Christians who refused to obey the emperor's decree, they were marked people. Uh, They were traitors, considered traitors against the government. Uh, They were placed many times in in a rack that would shackle their hands and their feet and and, and would stretch their limbs further and further apart. Every time a believer was asked to deny the Lord and, and they refused, that rack would be tightened even tighter until eventually their limbs were ripped from their bodies. Uh, other Christians were thrown into boiling oil or, or mangled by hungry lions in the Colosseum. The church at Smyrna was literally being pulled apart by pressure and by poverty and by persecution. You know, most of us in our culture today, we can't even comprehend what it would have been like to to have our fingernails torn out or to see our children slaughtered before our eyes. And if we just said Kaiser Curios, Caesar's Lord, fine, nothing happens. If these Smyrna Christians had just been willing to do that little thing, they would have been accepted and loved throughout all the city. But these Christians were brought forward and they would stand there with their their back straight and their lips that were firm, and they would say, no, we won't say Kaiser Curios, but rather we can only say Christos Curios, that is Christ is lord and so no matter what they tried to do to these christians they wouldn't say those words caesar is lord and and so these these smyrna christians these saints uh, they were literally descendants of shadrach meshach and Abednego. you remember them They're the ones who had been placed into the fiery furnace. And they were the ones who wouldn't bend, who wouldn't bow, who wouldn't budge. They wouldn't compromise their faith for Jesus. They understood the lesson that all uh, who are godly will suffer tribulation in this world. And they were willing to pay the price to maintain their loyalty to Jesus Christ. I wonder, would we? Notice not only the problem of persecution, but the problem of poverty. Notice another portion here in verse 9. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Jesus sees that they are a poor church. Now, there are two words in the Greek language for the word, English word, poor or poverty. Uh, One word means to just barely get by or to just barely make it. Now some of us would think, that's me, I'm poor. We're just barely making it. We're just barely getting by. But that's not the word that's used here. The word used here means absolute, utter destitution. It means to have absolutely nothing. If you'd gone to this church, you wouldn't have found air condition there. There wouldn't have been carpet on the floors or, or pads in the pews, no chandeliers hanging from the ceiling. Uh, they wouldn't have an organ. They wouldn't have a piano. They wouldn't have a big budget. In fact, they wouldn't even have a budget. It was a very poor church. Think about how they were, uh, how they were in such a rich city in Smyrna, such a well-to-do city. And so why was this church so poor? Well, the reason is very simple because the economic life of Smyrna was built around these various gods and and goddesses. And every person that worked belonged to a guild, that is what we might term today a labor union. Every guild had a certain patron god or or goddess that they were devoted to. And the only way you could get into one of those guilds, into that uh, union uh, and work and make a living, was to believe and worship in a particular god. And so if you didn't worship one of these gods, you couldn't get into that guild. And if you couldn't get into that guild, that labor union, you couldn't have a job. And if you didn't have a job, you couldn't buy or sell. If you couldn't buy or sell, you couldn't eat. So if you trusted Jesus as your savior and your Lord, and you remain loyal to him, you were economically and financially out in the cold and you couldn't buy food and you couldn't buy clothing and you literally had to live hand to mouth. Uh, we find that to be very strange because today there are some who come to church just because it's, it's good for business. Uh, when the Smyrnans went to church, it was bad for business. Uh, there are some christians today uh, who who compromise their faith they they entertain clients they throw parties they get them alcohol and all kinds of other ungodly things and all kinds of things, they know that, that even if it's, even though it's wrong for them, they think it's good for business. Well, these Smyrna Christians said, even if it's bad for business, even if it destroys our business, even if it means that we can't sell and buy and eat or drink or live, we're not going to compromise our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so no wonder Jesus had no words of criticism for this church. They were in a destitute place economically. Notice also the problem of profanity. Jesus goes on to say there in verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. (coughs) Now, the Greek word, the word there blasphemy comes from the Greek word blasphemia. Uh, Blasphemy usually refers to to words spoken against God. But here, the word literally means slander. Uh, It refers to the lies and the false malicious things that were being said by these false Jews uh, about these Christian people at the church at Smyrna. Now, notice these people who said they were Jews, but they were actually, Jesus says, a a part of the synagogue of Satan. Uh, So understand this, the devil has his crowd in, in every church. Uh, just like Jesus has his crowd. If you stand up for Jesus, uh, there are going to be times you're going to be slandered for Jesus. Uh, it, it'll amaze you sometimes the people who will stand up against you. Do you know that sometimes there are people who are in the church who may be a member of the church who are just like you are, who say they love Jesus just like you do, but they're dead set against the things God would want for his church. And you've seen that uh, happen over the years. One of the things you have to learn very quickly uh, in ministry is that God has his crowd in every church, but so does the devil. And in every church, there is the wheat and there are the tears. And just as surely as you take a stand for God, there are going to be those who are going to criticize you. There are going to be those who are going to slander you and they're going to say false things about you. And these people are in the synagogue of Satan. They're the devil's crowd. And the Greek word for devil is the word Diablos. We we get our word diabolic from that, means to slander, to criticize, to speak negatively about someone else. Leonard Ravenhill, who was a great preacher, a great revivalist, said it well when he said, when God opens the windows of heaven to bless you, the devil will open the doors of hell to blast you. So just know this, if you're going through a good time, things are at peace in your life, and and you start seeking, and you're making sure you're living for the Lord, and you're trying to do the right things for the Lord, the devil's not going to stand for that, and he's going to open the doors of hell and throw everything he can uh, against you. And so we have to make a choice. We can't be Mr. Popular and stand for Jesus. You can't always win friends and influence people and be faithful to the Lord. Uh, You're not above your master, and just like he stood for his heavenly father, Father and was crucified for doing so, when you stand for him, uh, you're going to face the criticism uh, of the crowd. And that may bother you, but it really shouldn't because here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11 and verse 12. He said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So there was that problem. But here's the last problem we see here at the church at Smyrna, the problem of prison. Because notice what verse 10 goes on to say, as if things couldn't get any worse. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Not the message you want to hear. Things are about to go from bad to worse. Notice he says, you're going to be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Now, there are many people who think that prison is one of the worst things that can happen to a child of God. Uh, but you have to be honest. I have to be honest. I've, I've never been in jail uh, other than just to visit an inmate. Or uh, there was one time I went with um, the— uh, uh, circuit court clerk in Johnson County, where we lived at, there uh, to go visit an inmate. She was taking me back, and they were moving, transporting another inmate, so they had to put us in a in another place. So they put us in what was called the drunk tank, <laughs> where they put the people to to uh, sober up overnight. And so uh, we had they locked us up in there while they let him pass. And we we're like, Oh Lordy, we can see it in the paper now: preacher and city clerk locked up in the drunk tank. <laughs> uh, I don't have any desire to go to jail, but you need to remember today that some of the greatest saints that have ever come out of the Christian faith have had their greatest hours in prison. Think about Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament while he was in prison. John. Where is John writing the book of Revelation from? From prison on the island of Patmos while he's writing this letter. John Bunyan. You think about John Bunyan. Uh, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress and the Pearl of, uh, wrote all kinds of different books. John Bunyan wrote one of the greatest books ever written while he was in prison. You think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, uh, was imprisoned by the Gestapo. He wrote one of his greatest books called The Cost of Discipleship. He wrote that before he was in prison, but then had to live it out when he was put into prison and then eventually executed while he was in prison. The daughter of William Booth. Uh, The founder of the Salvation Army was once thrown into prison in Switzerland for standing for the Lord Jesus. And while she was there, here's some words that she wrote. She said, best beloved of my soul, I am here alone with thee in my prison as a heaven since you share it now with me. All in our perspective of how we see prison there. These, These Smyrna Christians had problems. They faced the problem of persecution. They faced the problem of poverty. They faced the problem of profanity. And they face the problem of prison. But I want you to notice the prosperity in the church, the prosperity in this church. In spite of all those problems, notice what Jesus reminds them of in verse 9. It's there in parenthesis. He says, but you are rich. And they're thinking, man, you've lost it. What are you talking about? We don't have anything. We, We don't have anything here. This church was like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. The word here for rich is the word where we get our English word plutocrat, uh, or another synonym of that would be uh, tycoon. Uh, So literally he's saying, on the outside you may appear to be poor, but you are truly spiritual plutocrats or tycoons. And, and that is that even though this church appeared to be poor externally, internally and eternally, they were rich. Jesus was reminding this church, as we need to be reminded, that the riches of the church aren't found in buildings and, and budgets and those things. It's not seen in the padded pews and, and, and the polished preachers and pampered people. The riches and wealth of a church can only be determined by its loyalty and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. The great preacher Vance Havner, Dr. Vance Havner, he once said, I am often amused and amazed at the way we often equate Christianity with success, popularity, and prosperity. We may not admit it, but we use the same old gauge the world uses, except we employ religious language. It would appear that gain is godliness, uh, with us in spite of Paul's formula, that godliness plus contentment equals great gain. He said, in spite of everything, a Christian in a Cadillac is regarded as more favored of God than a saint in a Jeep. Give me the Jeep any day. (laughs) This church at Smyrna was exactly the opposite of the church that we're going to see later, the church at Laodicea. The church at Laodicea was rich toward men, but poor toward God. This church at Smyrna was poor towards men but rich towards God. The church at Smyrna was the poor little rich church, uh, while the church at Laodicea was the rich little poor church. There's a story uh, that's been told of of how uh, the Pope one time and and Thomas Aquinas were going through this beautiful cathedral one time, and the Pope was showing Thomas Aquinas all the beautiful possessions of the church. and he He said, Thomas, no longer does the church have to say silver and gold, have I none. And Thomas Aquinas looked at him with a sad face and said, yes, but no longer can the church say, rise up and take up thy bed and walk either. I have a deep fear that we have far more churches who are rich and yet poor than poor and yet rich. This church was a rich church. Well, how were they rich? Well, they were rich in the ways that a church ought to be rich. They were rich in worship. They were an exciting church. They were happy. They were full of Jesus. They were giving Jesus their very best. They didn't have anything. But boy, when you went in the church, they were excited for the Lord Jesus. They were a church of conviction, not a church of compromise. They were a church of loyalty and not luxury. They were a church of commitment, not convenience. And their suffering uh, didn't make them bitter. It, It made them better. You see, the fires of persecution simply made them hotter for the cause of Christ. The pains of poverty simply made them more hungry for the righteousness of God. The sounds of profanity simply made them more determined. We want to hear the word of God. And those bars of prison that they were facing simply freed them to share the glory of Jesus. I mean, think about that. With Paul, he was shackled to soldiers every day, and they rotated out every so often throughout the day. Just a new group to witness to. That's all he kept doing. And so they were rich in their worship, but they were also rich in their works. They were working and ministering for the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of their poverty, they were sharing with those who were even poorer than they were. And they were ministering to the down and out, and they were witnessing to the up and out, and they were a testimony to the all and out. They were rich in their works, and they were rich in their witness. I mean, think about what a testimony and witness they had for the Lord Jesus Christ. Here they were, they were considered the laughing stock of the city, the doormat of the city, the scapegoat of the city, and yet they just kept on smiling and they kept on shining for Jesus and they would still tell anybody who was willing to listen that Jesus saves. If you'd gone up to one of these Smyrna Christians and said, well, how does it feel to suffer for Jesus? They would have looked at you and said, man, it's great. It's wonderful. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you, I count it all joy that he's considered me worthy to suffer for his dear name. Jesus had conducted a, a spiritual audit of this church, and he says, you are rich. You're in good shape. Continue in your faithfulness. I wonder if Jesus was to do a spiritual audit of our lives, of our church, would we be rich or would we be poor? I wonder if we would be on the brink of spiritual bankruptcy. Think about it. It's a pretty popular thing to be a member of the church sometimes, but I wonder if our church was destroyed. If we had to meet in a dilapidated, run-down building, if we had to walk through people yelling at us and, and hear all the scorn and the derision as we came to church, if we knew that we were going to be thrown into prison just for coming to praise Jesus, would we still come? Would our hearts have that unspeakable joy and be full of glory? Final point I want to make. Notice the promise to the church. So Jesus closes here with the promise to this church. And his promise is directly related to the suffering of this church. You know, Jesus is always aware when we suffer. He understands our heartaches, and he understands our our headaches, and he knew the suffering of this church. He had experienced the pain. He knew the trouble the church was going through, and so he includes three truths in this promise. The reason for suffering is the first. Even though we may not always understand, uh, uh, understand it and see it, there's always a reason and a purpose for the things we're going through, for the suffering we're facing. And, and, and th- in this case, notice what Jesus says in verse 10. He says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. God always has a a goal in suffering. And as we see there, he said, you're gonna be thrown into prison, why? To test you. That word test literally means to refine. It means to separate the, the impurities, the dross, if you will, from the gold. It means to mature and, and to mold. You see, while Satan tempts us in order to destroy us, Jesus tests us in order to develop us. Uh, the faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And so, first of all, you understand there's a reason for the suffering. You may not understand the reason, but there's a reason. It's for the trials and testing of your faith. Then notice also the restraint of suffering. Jesus says that this church will have tribulation for how many days? Ten. Now there's our first mention of a number again uh, since we left our numbers discussion. Remember that we learned about the numbers and we can understand here the symbolic use of numbers. Why is it that this tribulation will only be for ten days? Well, if you remember what the number 10 means, you can get that card out and remember what the number 10 uh, means. It represents human completeness. Our hands have 10 fingers, our feet have 10 toes. Uh, All of the law in the Old Testament can be summed up in those 10 commandments. The number 10 is the number of fullness or completeness. So the point that Jesus is making here is, is that there is a completeness, there is a fullness, but this is also a limit to the suffering of God's people. He said, it doesn't say it's an indefinite suffering that's gonna go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He says 10 days. Now the Bible makes it plain that God will uh, God never will never allow us to suffer beyond what we can bear uh, with his power and his strength and if the breaking point ever comes God will cut off the suffering when Jesus was speaking about the great tribulation he said this in Matthew 24 and verse 21 he, s- he said for then there will be great tribulation talking about the end days such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now no and never will be and if those days had not been cut short No human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. It won't go on forever. That means that God will let the suffering go to a point, but then stop it. And so there's a blessed limit to the suffering for the Lord. And then finally, there's the reward for suffering. Jesus wrote this letter, go back to verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. That word angel literally means messenger, and it refers to the pastor of the church. And that's very significant because the pastor of the church at Smyrna was a man by the name of Polycarp. He was a contemporary of the apostle John. He was about 86 years old. He was brought before the emperor for the purpose of worshiping Caesar and denying the Lord Jesus Christ. And the emperor said to Polycarp, all you have to do is say Kaiser Curios. He says, "Uh, Caesar is Lord. And deny Christ, and and we'll set you free. And just imagine, as every saint in the church is is watching, what's our pastor going to say? What's our pastor going to do? And Polycarp, that 86-year-old giant of a man, looked the emperor straight in the eye and said, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has never wronged me. How then can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And they were so incensed at Polycarp that on that spot they gathered wood for the fire so they could burn him at the stake. And they came to him with chains and ropes to bind him to the pole. And he said, you don't have any need of those things. You don't need to tie me to the pole. God will protect me and enable me to go through life. And as those flames began to lick at his feet and work their way up his body, his last words were these. He said, I thank thee that thou hast graciously taught me worthy, uh, thought me worthy of this day and of this hour, that I may receive a portion in the number of thy martyrs in the cup of my Christ. Wow. Jesus says in verse 10, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. I'm so glad that Jesus said, be faithful instead of be successful. If he had said, be successful, I'll give you a crown of life. Many of us might not have a crown. If he said be brilliant, many of us wouldn't be smart enough to obtain a crown. If he had said be wealthy, many of us would be too poor to obtain a crown. But he said be faithful and I will give you the crown of life. Do you see that? He said be faithful until death. Now that doesn't mean necessarily be faithful until you die, though uh, you ought to be faithful until you die. It means be faithful even if you do have to die. For us, we're not in persecution. We don't face poverty like they were facing. Uh, We're not facing prison. By and large, we don't face much blasphemy and profanity. But we can still be a Smyrnan-type Christian because he gives, in verse 10, the two marks of a true Smyrnan Christian. First of all, a Smyrnan Christian is fearless. He says in verse 10, don't fear what you're about to suffer. The only thing they feared was displeasing the Lord Jesus. Their creed and their motto was Psalm 56 verse 4, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Also a Samaritan Christian was faithful. They were faithful unto death. Faithful Faith gets rid of fear while fear kills faith. And that root word for faithful literally means to be convinced. Remember, we're told in chapter 1 of Revelation and verse 5 that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. Jesus wasn't saying there, and in this passage, oh, just keep a stiff upper lip. He wasn't saying just keep your chin up. Or even, well, you just got to grin and bear it. What he was saying was, you be faithful unto me because you can rest assured that I will be faithful to you. What a word to a church that was facing all they were facing with persecution and poverty and all that they were facing there. I pray we would be Christians in the kind of church that that church was, fearless, faithful, and firm as we stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. What an awesome example from this church at Smyrna. Lord, I pray we would be half the people they were, who were faithful even in the midst of all they were facing. They were destitute and had nothing. They were living hand to mouth. Yet Lord, we think some of the things we're going through are bad. It was way worse for them. So Father, I pray that you will help us to learn some lessons from them, to be faithful like they were, to not fear but yet to trust in you and to know that you will see us safely through to the other side. And the other side might be there in heaven with you. And so, Lord, we look forward to that day, but help us, Lord, to remain faithful, even if it means we may have to die for our faith. Lord, many of us don't ever face that here in America, but there are many Christians around this world who do every single day. They have to hide in places to be able to meet and to share the gospel and to study the word of God. And so, Father, I pray that we would not take for granted the gift of grace that we've been given. Lord, I pray that we would count it precious the cost that was paid with the blood of Jesus Christ and that we would remain faithful to the very end. Bless us, Lord, for having heard this word and for having read this word help us, Lord, to be faithful to keep this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, just a reminder, we do have those no- numbers cards. We do have the books. Be sure to send us that message uh, that you need those uh, looking to see. It. And I don't see any comments of any prayer requests there. So glad that you were able to join us. We'll see you back Sunday. Uh, Come and join us Sunday morning for Sunday school uh, at 915 and then Sunday evening. uh, We'll have our Sunday morning. We'll have uh, worship at 1030. We'll be back Sunday evening at six o'clock. Both of those services will be on the life of Jesus. Uh, That's why we're offering this book here. Uh, So be sure to get that if you can. Uh, But you have a blessed weekend. We'll see you this Sunday. Thank you.